Nope, too late. Go time now. No more bathroom breaks, guys. I just want to say, you did a very good job. So good job. It's that thing where you're actually kind of smart. Things you say make you sound dumb. Yeah, we both do that. What's that called? Nope. <laughs> yeah, but you're a little different, Dad. Stop saying sir! Oh, it drives me crazy! Are you seeing clear? Are you seeing clear? I think most people just ignore the tough question. This isn't Minecraft. This is real life. You are hilarious. <laughs> that was not the dog, Dad. That was you. <laughs> yeah, to solve this, we have to completely ignore the main problem. <laughs> that makes literally no sense to me. I just want to die. And that, my friend, is one of my favorite things about you. Hey, welcome to Renaissance Radio. I'm your host, Jeremy. We are broadcasting from the new lunar station out on Mars, and this is Paul and Sarah Mann. Hi, guys. Hey. Hi. Hi. Uh, so here's what I want you to do. Sarah, can you give a podcast intro of Paul, like as if you're really hyping him up, he's getting ready to get on stage. What do you, what do you think? Give him, give us the bullet point awesomeness of him besides his dashing <laughs> handsomeness and charming demeanor. What else? This is Paul. He's a great guy. Um, I love him. He's just a really great husband, dad. He does the dishes without complaining. Um, I don't know. That's a character thing. That's like, there's like a hundred books written on doing dishes without complaining. There's like several areas of your marriage that improve when you do that. That's no small thing, Paul. All right. Uh, so Paul's taken, happily married. Uh, and now, Paul, that we've heard great things about you. Let's hear great things about Sarah. This is unprepared, by the way. Literally, <laughs> we've never talked about doing this. But as I talk to these two, I know for a fact they have great things to say about each other because they're always saying great things about each other. So, Paul. So... I and remember, look, it's only an hour, so okay. I know you could talk for All over right. an hour on her greatness. But. I almost look at myself as a pretty average guy. Um, and Sarah is this beautiful, artistic, smart, musical, creative person who fell in love with me. She fell in love with me first, which is pretty awesome. Um, and What a brag that was, right? <laughs> I know. For you, you were just yep, like... Average guy in this beautiful bombshell... Did I say beautiful? Amazing woman fell in love with me, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. Uh, first of all, that's nonsense. You guys are both fantastic and amazing. Actually, I, I do did, the dishes. I, I did do think the dishes he was um, without complaining. Great guy, which is why she fell in you love. You got with great me. guy. Yeah, <laughs> I did think, um, but when I first met him, that he had suffered uh, brain damage, and <laughs> which is like kind of you were kind of drawn to him for that a little bit. That was somebody well, that like at first it took yeah. a little bit while a little while to realize this is a he theme wasn't. of my friends. <laughs> Like, no joke, like, I was talking to Harley the other day, and he says regularly, and his wife will hear him say it, like, he thinks she's, she thinks he might have some difficulty, some mm -hmm. mental difficulty. Yeah. So what's going on there? These great wives and these guys, I have, I've seen nothing but intelligence from you. He's what, very smart. What was the early days? Like, what happens in the beginning that you would think that maybe he had some limitations. Well, is this real? Did you actually? Yes. No, I talked to my roommate and I was like, we we were, here. so we were doing a Christian, Christian internship. And I was like talking to my roommate, like, is Paul like all there? Because we were out like preaching the gospel and he had this sense of humor, like that made me think oh. that he just wasn't all there. He sees a squirrel and he's like squirrel. And he runs so after it. You had it transcendent humor is what was really <laughs> happening. Your humor was hard to decode because you were so ahead of your time. Yes. I, I was trying to make people laugh. And instead, I had the most beautiful girl in the internship think I was, what's the word? Yeah, we're not, we don't have to find the word today. Okay. Yeah, but uh, that's amazing. And then at some point, you fell in love with him. 
So there had to have been a change there. No, there doesn't have to be. I, but I don't want to put words <laughs> in your mouth. What happened then? When did you fall well, in love first with him? What I was the moment? Was there a moment or a season? It was kind of a season. Um, I don't know. We just hung out, did our internship thing, studied the Bible, and just kind of realized he's a really genuine person and that, you know, I'm, I'm probably a little brain damaged too, but, you know, realized he wasn't to the extent that I had thought he was. Um, he was just different. Yeah, and then he realized he needed to change his sense of humor. <laughs> the way he changed for her. You were smitten. Slightly. Not really. Not you were much. smitten. Did you notice how she said brain damage too? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> so instead of realizing that, oh, Paul isn't that brain damaged, we're all just a little brain yeah, damaged. Yeah, she just brought herself to you. You didn't come up to her. She brought herself to you. That's awesome. What a weird story. Perfect <laughs> for Renaissance Radio. I uh, have known you guys quite some time, and um, just I think Sarah and I have similar timelines that are separate from one another in the sense that like we've had struggles in our life, and and as we all have, and uh, we met back up at the tail end of some struggles as a family, and you guys started coming to the church uh, that we attended, and it was awesome. And then um, in a similar fashion, fast-forwarding, a lot of victories too, not just struggles, but you know, some struggles and then victories. And fast-forward, now I'm like six months in, and I'm starting a podcast. I don't know anything about it. And I had some experience um, in some of the parts of the podcast, but certainly overestimated how those would translate because it's been difficult but also very rewarding. And then you have Mansi Cakes, which is this thing that is, I'm just going to summarize it, and then we'll talk about it in depth, is remarkable. Like, you have found this talent you have you. that's tied to this passion that you have that is exactly the kind of thing that I want to celebrate at Renaissance. It's the whole point is, like, these amazing things that people do that maybe don't have a place quite yet, you know what I mean? But you're doing this amazing, amazing thing, and you kind of, I mean, you'd baked before, <laughs> yes. right but mm -hmm. at the same time there was is there a similarity to that story of just like okay i'm doing this now and it's just like explodes into this monstrous like what is this yeah yeah to backtrack a little bit i did ba i i've always enjoyed baking um kind of funny story my dad i almost poisoned him with expired lemon bars from the box but i just want to put it out there i don't i, I make everything from scratch now so we're all yeah. good there um poisoning was from the early <laughs> days you haven't done that yeah yeah i've come a long way that's right um but yeah no i wasn't even planning on having this mansy cakes thing but i made a couple cakes for my kids for their birthdays and put it out there on facebook and somebody was like hey can you make me a baby shower cake and um your wife asked me can you make me my son's birthday cake and whoa 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 whoa, whoa. <laughs> hold on we're going too fast okay. here and here's why sarah's a very humble person I, I can't even, I just have to stop like for a moment of silence to talk about this Hobbit cake, this cake she made for Harlan. Not Hobbit, Hagrid's hut. Uh, this Very is what it. I'm talking about. If you're on YouTube, oh, you Brian, see me pointing Brian at her. I said cake. Hobbit and she goes, no, 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 no. She did the market research. She made things where, skip. Paul, can you jump in here and make sure we don't skim over the fact that she quickly made a Hagrid cake? Like unbelievable. Yeah. So Ashley asked her, if uh, for your son Harlan, yep. uh, Sarah could make a Hagrid, Hagrid's hut. And Sarah was impassioned about this cake. And she probably put what, 100 man hours, 40 man no hours, <laughs> crazy, <laughs> making everything to detail to match a picture that you found from the film. Actually, yeah, I watched a little clip and kind of screenshotted. Okay, this is what Hagrid's hut looks like up close. And up to this point, she made three nice custom cakes in her life, all for our kids. 
And then she's jumping into making a very complex cake using skills that she didn't previously have. And she made a beautiful cake. It was unbelievable. It's like breathtaking. I mean, this is one of those things that, you know, I've experienced in the photography world. The The expectation of any artist is to make things that are consistent to expectation and hopefully a little above. But you don't take big swings and miss. You can't do that as a professional artist. I've had just a couple photos of hundreds of weddings and thousands and thousands and thousands of photos. I've had just a couple that people stop and look at. Just a couple that people go, whether they know the couple or not, they go, wow, something special happened right there. It's very rare. It doesn't even happen every wedding. And I consider myself pretty skilled. You can't force it. That cake was like that. It was like you gave this cake, and it just wasn't a cake. It was like this thing, and we're just all staring at it. We're just like, we couldn't take our eyes off of it. And that's like one in, how many had you made at that point? Um, Three. Yeah, that's 33% at that point. I mean, just a remarkable, and that was kind of my original question was, what on earth happens to make somebody get that passionate that quickly? I can empathize because I'm like watching hundreds of hours of, of podcasters and looking at gear and learning about technique and watching masterclasses and trying to get better. And I can just tell that that happened for you too because this, I mean, you have a natural ability, but that doesn't get you there. Natural ability does not get you there. So what was that experience of like, when did it take hold of you? What was that like? Yeah, um, I was nervous at first. I had never done anything like it, but... I think some of it was, a little bit of it was, I know you guys, you guys are awesome, you're creative, and I'm like, I want to make uh, Harlan's birthday, not Hagrid, <laughs> Harlan's birthday Make really a Harlan special. cake for Hagrid would be sick, too. Yeah, you great. guys you guys are, are great, and I wanted to do something special Thank for you, you. and um, I don't know, like, just, it kind of just woke up this creative side of me, like, there's so many things I could do with this. There's so many details that I could interweave, like Aragog with Spider, um, Buckbeak, you know, like you got Hagrid sitting on a bench. I even made like a little bowl with like some s- vegetable stew for him. I don't even know if that was in the book, but there's just like so many I can imagine fun little details. Yes. Yeah. So, so I want to really zoom in even further because you started with I made a really cool cake and then Paul was able to bring out what actually happened. I want to go even further for the, our listeners who are artists who are just – like maybe doing what they're asked a little bit, like they're doing art, so they're illustrating or they're doing whatever, but they haven't hit that moment where they're like, oh my gosh, and like dunked themselves in it like you did. Can you describe, was that cake somewhere around the moment of dunking for you? you were that just was like, a major dunking. What was that? What were the attributes of that job specifically that lined up perfectly? So maybe we can recreate some for people to try to find themselves. What were some of the things that went, this plus this plus this plus this plus this made it perfect? Well, I think part of it was I saw a challenge. I had never done a lot of this stuff. And, you know, I was like, this is an opportunity to kind of see how far I can go and and what I can do. And I'm just going to really push my limits. Like, I didn't charge you, you know, much for it. I probably made like two cents an hour. No, you lost money on that for sure. (laughs) But it was like, what, what can I do? And, you know, I have these two little kids. Like, I feel kind of guilty, you know, if I were to just make something for myself, but I'm making something for someone else that's going to bring them a lot of joy. And so that kind of was a lot of, um, you know, that was encouragement for me to just put everything into it. And also I really like the theme, like, you know, I'm like you, I Lord of the Rings is my all time favorite movie, movie, but Harry Potter is pretty cool yeah. too. Yeah. From, from fan fiction standpoint, Harry Potter is a really good fan fiction for Lord of the Rings. I like it. Yeah. Oh, I just lost half my audience just now <laughs> saying that, especially anybody under 25. Yeah. So I don't know. It was something that I really, in, you know, I enjoyed the books, enjoyed the movies, and so you know, it's cool. subject matter 
And mm-hmm. so far what I've heard is subject matter, something you are passionate about and curious about and excited mm-hmm. about mixed with a, a, a willingness to go however far it needed to take you right. with a commitment that you had to get it done. Those mm-hmm. combinations. Was there anything else involved in that that you were just like, man, this this freed me up? Because I could just sense from you that you're like freed up on that job. There's something about like, whoa, this is Mansy Cakes. Yeah, I think like, you know, I was making it also for a friend. So I kind of had, you know, I ha- didn't have a certain level of expectations. Like later on, you know, I made a cake for a professional golfer and I was kind of like, there's a lot of pressure on that. And I mm-hmm. had to make it, you know, perfect just, you know, in my own mind. And for you, it's like, oh, I can kind of do whatever I want and see, you know, where this goes because you're my friends and I'm not charging you, you know, right. $200. So. I kind of feel like I've got to pay you more now. I think that's <laughs> the thing. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so would you say it's fair to say that um, the combination of high expectations for yourself, but not as high expectations for the client was a nice feature for you? Something that you could go as far as you wanted, but we were going to yeah. be happy with whatever. Yeah, that's one thing where I I do appreciate when clients give me a little bit of wiggle room, like, hey, I want this themed cake. And I do, you know, I like when people show me pictures. I want exactly that. That's cool. Um, that kind of makes my... Yeah. yeah. Is it cool? Is it cool well, when somebody <laughs> wants you to trace a design? Um, it's not It's not as okay, cool. Okay, so she's what she's saying probably, tell me if I'm wrong, is she won't be mad at you if you do that. Thank you for the offer, but that's not your passion. Right. Okay. Yeah. There was, you know, somebody gave me a picture and I kind of, I modified it a little bit. So I didn't do exactly what they wanted. So I always kind of do my own thing, um, which, you know, is just how it goes. But um, yeah, so just the freedom to kind of explore and and do what I want with it. That's really cool. And I think that's replicatable. Um, I think that resonates with me on the show. I have, my expectations for myself are to like I, it's me as a consumer and I'm a really difficult consumer. So when I listen to my show, there's things I don't like about it yet. And I want to get better. I have really high expectations of myself, but my consumers are not freaking out. Like they're okay. You know, they're, they're understanding. They're not relying on this for their livelihood or anything. So that's good that, you know, that's okay. That fits. Also it's subject matter that I'm really interested in. I'm calling people like you guys and other uh, creative professional friends to try to get them. And and I want to learn about them and be curious and so I think that method, if you're listening and you're trying to think, okay, I want to take this hobby to the next level, I think the thought of like what Sarah said is, what would I do if I could do anything? Maybe find a client that doesn't have crazy high expectations, but could maybe cover your costs and then make a commitment that you're going to get it done so that you actually do it. That's a pretty good formula, I think. That's pretty good. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, Paul, any thoughts on that? One thing I appreciate about Sarah's uh, cake making is she takes something very common, birthday cakes. Every birthday has birthday cakes. You sing happy birthday. It's a very common thing. And then she puts an uncommon spin on it. And we had talked about cakes, you and I, before her cake making, and you talked about thoughtfulness. That I did? Yes. Oh. Where you have someone who has a thoughtful idea to get someone a cake, and they have a certain payoff. Sarah has a payoff for creating something thoughtful. And then there's a third party, which they appreciate receiving that thoughtful gift. It's true. And Sarah gets to do that. And one of the best illustrations of that is her Mickey Mouse cake. And oh I want her gosh. to share the Mickey Mouse cake. I know you've seen it and you were blown well, away. Well, this is a shared relationship. <laughs> so I want to tell you up front real quick, his mom messaged me early on. Uh, this has nothing to do with the cake. 
his mom messaged me early on, hey, I know you know technical stuff. He wants to get into illustration. He really wants to do this. What does he get? And so we were talking about iPads and Apple Pencils and what the right thing would be. So I'm like emotionally invested in this kid's success. And then I, so fourth person payoff, right? I get to come in and see that Sarah, completely separate from that, did this unbelievable, thoughtful. I keep saying words like unbelievable and incredible. What I'm saying by this is you look at it and you go, I can't believe she cared so much about my thing or their thing. Like their, she takes on their passion, like their thing they're passionate about and compounds it. And there's something really special about being able to then consume it together. Like that's such a, it's just something really neat. So, uh, so this kid DJ, uh, I don't think comes from an artistic circle of friend. I think he's kind of in a new space. I could be wrong on that. And his mom called you and bring, bring, take yeah, it away. She's like, I want to make him a, uh, could you make him a cake? Um, and this is something that's really helpful. He said, she said, you know, he's interested in animation. He watched, he, you know, does animation practices every day. He loves Disney, loves the theme parks, just kind of threw out a few things of his that he liked. And so I kind of thought about it and I was like, well, um, I'm going to make him something that combines all those elements. And um, I asked her for details. I said, hey, could you send me some pictures of his tools that he used to draw, uses to draw, um, maybe even some of his drawings, if that's okay. Um, and so she, she gave me you know, some photos and I kind of went off of that and incorporated that into the cake, which was really cool because, um, you know, I, I know the Conants, they're really, um, sweet family. Um, and you know, I know DJ, but I didn't know this about him. And, you know, because of this cake, I learned that about him and I was able to kind of, um, just appreciate that even more about him and incorporate that and, and, um, make something and special then there him. was a cake. And I have to have you describe your thoughtfulness. <laughs> I just, I'm going to give you a pause for a second and let you then get uh, or ask you to, to tell us about the cake because this is, uh, and I don't think you're being, this, Sarah's actually this humble. She's not, there's no fake humility here. Uh, but when you say, oh, and then I made him a cake, it's, you did so much more than that. It was so amazing. Thank you. And Sarah, just to let uh, the listeners understand, everything in her cakes is edible. So she has to make this really delicious, creative, thoughtful cake, and it needs to be edible. It needs to taste okay, not tastes make great. you sick. <laughs> it tastes great. All of it tastes great. That's the idea? That's that's my hope. <laughs> yeah. So you don't have any fakies. Like everything you no. can pop in your mouth and go, that was delicious. That's rare. Well, For the you, most part, you yeah. know, like I make like, you know, the pencils out of fondant and all that. You probably wouldn't want to be chewing on like fondant all day but yeah. like the cake the buttercream everything's from scratch oh i mean you know it's gotta taste good you can't just oh, look good. So she didn't just throw some colored pencils in there she handmade colored pencils we're definitely throwing this up it, on youtube for sure they'll see it if you look at it you think that's a real colored pencil i can grab it and draw on paper i'll give you an example clearly that log is cake right like it's it's cake but when i looked at that cut that mug that you made for me um the detail in the mug and then the detail in the cake in the in the log underneath it so clearly i thought that you had put it on a log like upon further inspection you would know it wasn't <laughs> a pencil right that's my point but you have to further inspect to find out because if you look at it you go she put a pencil on there and she's going down to the detail like there was etching in the pencils that she recreated and 
We're talking about you. We're basically begging. (laughs) Tell us how you, like, tell us what you did. This is unbelievable. We're saying she like you're, like, off in Alaska somewhere. But, yeah, please, go ahead. So, let me say, I didn't, it wasn't perfect. DJ sharpens his pencils so beautifully. And um, (laughs) I couldn't make them that sharp, but, like. That's not a typical (laughs) standard, to be clear, that the pencils are sharpened to the same level. They're immaculate. Yeah. So, I made these pencils out of fondant, um, had to, you know, trim them up with some sharp knives to make the points, you know, the, the tips as pointy as I could. And then, you know, I had to paint the like beige part, you know, there's like wood pencils are made out of wood. So you got the color part, you got the, and then I, you know, etched in whatever micro pro or something, you know, there's, there's a brand on it. There's a number or whatever. So I did that in edible silver paint. Um, and they were pretty to scale, right? Yeah. I mean, they were, yeah. yeah. Yep. And then, um, you know, so he, the notebook was not to scale. Um, one of his pictures that I used, I made it on, um, I, replicated it on wafer paper you know um it's got to be edible in my book so and and what was on uh the sketch yeah it was like mickey and i don't know if the other character was like this was a sketch that he made he made this sketch Uh. yeah mickey and mickey's friend and they're like i forget i think one of them's giving the peace sign but it was really good you know sketch and i I even like signed his initials which kind of felt weird doing that but you know had to make it exact in my book well to have somebody be um What's the word? Uh, forged. That's a big deal for an artist. Once yeah. you're big enough to have your signature forged, then yeah. it's good. And then why did you choose wafer paper? I know you said edible, but why didn't you just put it yeah, on the I could have put it on, on fondant. My original idea was I'm going to make like cut out t- like hundreds of pieces of wafer paper and make it like a real notebook. But and then you I was would. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that's going to take ages. So I did the wafer paper, but then I did some fondant underneath that. And I, I etched lines into the fondant to make it look like the pieces of paper. So but what was the quality of the wafer paper? Um, the wafer paper, you know, is pretty smooth. Um, you have to be careful, though. If you put too much um, food coloring on it, it does alter, you know, the. it's not as flat as it should be. But but it looked like a well-traveled notebook paper. Yeah. I mean, it legitimately looked like actual paper that he could have sketched on. Yeah. It's so awesome. And I think I, think I just want to draw attention again to the thoughtfulness piece that, Paul, that you brought up, which is, Let's just track this journey here for a second. DJ says, I'm interested to his mother. I'm interested in art. Okay, so he expresses his, his desire. She immediately turns that to action. She messages me. She starts messaging Sarah. Like there's things that she begins to do. Then we are now thinking about DJ and how we can support DJ. So I'm over here on one side doing much less than you. I'm just doing like tech things. But the point is he's probably got five or six people because of the thoughtfulness of his mom. Mm-hmm. Five or six of us, people like us, thinking of him and wanting him to succeed. And then you do this incredible thing that shows him not only how cool his stuff is, but also shows him what's possible in the art space. Because artists start out with, a, like, kids watch cartoons, so they want to make cartoons. As they're exposed to more types of art, they begin to think, well, maybe I could be an architect. Maybe I could be a 3D and, uh, gaming designer. Maybe I could be a baker. And so we're beginning to expose him to, and this this kid, all he did was say, I want to be an artist. And that thoughtfulness has just woven. And now he's the topic of a segment on a podcast <laughs> that artists are going to listen to. And it's just like, it's so easy to underestimate how big each of those moments are for somebody. You know what I mean, it's Paul? Like, yeah, like, you're nodding about that. Like, do you, do you get kind of what I'm saying there? Mind blown. No, 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 not mind blown, not a profound moment. What I mean is that reminds me a little bit of our discussion that we were having around um, different people and how they um, 
find like your the question you asked me was how do you get better but what i thought of immediately was i tried to involve myself in the life of people who could make me better i started to be friend podcasters and things like that and that's what reminded me of that when you asked that how do you get better and dj is passively receiving that benefit you know and i hope every listener thinks man i want to buy something from dj now or i want to buy something and also sarah and maybe me and you know it's just really cool how this stuff works together mm-hmm. and on the short end that's just that's my dream for renaissance is that the value of people running into each other and rubbing up against each other with their giftedness and their passion compounds to be greater than you know the sum of its parts yeah. and so i think that's really cool um so yeah so I think one thing that I'd like to talk about a little bit is you're new to this, but if you went on a show or competition, you would not be new. That'd be the Mm storyline. That's what they would say all the time. What? You just started six months ago? Uh, But you wouldn't pick out your stuff as new. Uh, Can we go back a ways to kind of what we were talking about beforehand about that early journey and some of the difficulties that are maybe unavoidable, maybe avoidable? Like... I don't know how far back to Paul, you, you are one of the best storytellers. Could you pick a starting point for us as, as kind of iconic moments for, for Sarah, where would you start this story? Her origin story. That's what I'm asking for is her origin story. As I shared before, Sarah is very smart and, um, let's just say she never got a B from kindergarten all the way through undergrad. Never got a B maybe a minus, but never a B. So there was a lot of expectation, understandably so, for her to become something special. Especially with a heavy academic focus with grades like those. Yeah. Coming from a medical family, too. Um, Yeah, I've got uncles who are doctors, anesthesiologists, ophthalmologists. My brother's one. He, you know, his wife. I just, a lot of people to look up up to, and it was great. It was, um, but kind of felt like. I should do that too. Um, I need, you know. Was that a fight for you early on? Were um, you early going, I don't no. want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. My my relatives are great people. And I was like, wow, I want to be like them. And also, you know, like there's some prestige and money comes with that. And I could travel and, you know, live comfortably. So, yeah, I, I never really fought that early on. I remember when I was an undergrad, just kind of thinking things were getting hard and like I told my mom I was like maybe I could just you know be an English teacher not that that's not hard like maybe I could just do something not science related you I were know. looking for outs from yeah what I was were like, you looking for outs from well what, I had a bi- I have a biology degree and I just kind of was done with the sciences for a little bit and um just kind of I love the arts I've always loved you know I, I would paint sketch you know do, just do little things here and there to express myself and I, I told my mom also like ah oh, if I could just like an artist or a painter and and you know my mom my parents are great um but she realizes you know certain practicalities and you know how are you going to pay for your art supplies you know being an artist is hard and you know can be difficult to make a living and um you know so I kind of just rode the train going to you know I ended up getting into dental school went to dental school for um two years it's a four-year program and halfway through um you know, I had to, I had to leave. I went through some, some difficult things mentally, um, with anxiety and depression and, um, just kind of realized, you know, after a bit of time of healing that a lot of my, um, I just, a lot of my identity was, was wrongly placed in what I was going to do and who I was going to be and, um, you know, my job. And I think, you know, 
coming to Calvary was a really big help talking with, you know, Pastor Eric and, you know, other people along the way that, you know, that's, you know, just pointing to truth and um, my identity is not, should not be, you know, in what I, what I do, but it's in Christ and, and that's, you know, all that matters ultimately. Man, I really resonate with um, that story and we could talk for months about just what God's done in our lives and his goodness and kindness to us and um, undeserved. And uh, one part of that story, you know, you bring up mental illness and I think that that's something that, you know, gratefully is becoming a mainstream topic Mm -hmm. now. And um, I'm finally learning names for things I've struggled with for a really long time. I'm like, oh, there's a name for that in 36. And I'm just learning that like lots of people go through that and that's real and it's normal. And uh, I'm sure it's similar for you that and when you're in the, and when you're in the moment, when you're in the thick of it, you feel alone is one of the only I think alone is for me, at least I don't want to speak for you or others, but alone is probably the most true word that you can think of. So we're going to try to get through this without getting too emotional. But <laughs> um, I think what is underestimated and, and feel free to share here either of the two of you what's underestimated on that topic of mental illness is um, it can be seasonal. It can be chronic your whole life you know there's so many variables but it's your brain and like your whole operating system's up there Mm -hmm. you know everything that's running is running off of that and so when things aren't either um, normal for society or they tend to push you a certain way and you're not aware of it it's it's your operating system You, you really don't have a shot until you understand what's happening and what's true and so I'm really grateful for you guys and um, we bumped into each other both in the thick of a very difficult time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was just like, I wasn't even out of it yet, you know? Yeah. And so it was really important. I think he used that meeting greatly, but it wasn't me. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't mm-hmm. think I talked to you guys for a year after that. You know what I mean? And so it's just such an important topic. I'm going to be meeting with um, my good friend, Corey Hubble next, uh, actually tomorrow, who's this incredibly accomplished um, artist and that's a topic that he's passionate about as well people who feel a lot often move to the arts but people who feel a lot are often at risk you know it's it's tough especially if you have a strong intellectual drive um those strong emotions begin to cycle through that strong intellectual drive uh either upward or downward and it's very difficult so Mm -hmm. anyway i kind of got lost in that topic (laughs) for a moment um it's probably something that you've talked about more than i've talked about and so it's just new to me um these last couple years the scary thing is when you look, there's a there's a, a mental illness section. I'll keep it on a lighter note. There's a mental illness section on the web that's similar to WebMD. So like you go on WebMD and you definitely have um, cancer, right? Like no matter <laughs> what it is. Uh, just so you guys know, if you go online and you Google mental illness, like you're going to be a dark sociopath. You know, like that's there's there's these like chronic, um, uh, you know, characterizations they'll put you in for clickbait. So uh, don't go online. Talk to your pastor. Talk to your uh, whoever you are uh, talking to, and, and work through that. Paul, do you have any thoughts on that? I, uh, here's the question: Do you have any thoughts that fit? Because you probably have a hundred thousand, <laughs> like I do. You know, he was so great through all of that. Yeah. So specific to Sarah, I mean, we all look for what we can do in life, and we aspire to something. We want to find fulfillment, and conventional wisdom for Sarah's case was that she should become a doctor. She should become a dentist. In that, she'll find fulfillment, happiness, financial stability. And she was on that path for many years. And now she's a stay-at-home mom slash 
entrepreneur working on baking cakes. Conventional wisdom wouldn't have said the girl who got straight A's should um, be baking cakes at her home and designing them in her basement on a ping pong table. That's not conventional wisdom. But in doing that, Sarah has um, found fulfillment, um, happiness, joy. Um, When she was aspiring to be a dentist, she was dealing with imposter syndrome. You would think she would deal with that in this space because she's baking, didn't have very yeah. much experience. On a technical note, she was probably more qualified to be a dentist than a baker. Like on a, yeah. on a technical qualifications note, like from the imposter syndrome, it's backwards. Yeah, she, right? she should be um, dealing with a lot of anxiety and stress and feeling like an imposter. But somehow it just ha- it doesn't have that debilita- debilitating effect. And instead, she's able to tap into her creativity and find joy. Well, in your technical intensity, the things that would happen in um, any medical, because dental was the path, but you could have gone any direction, um, there's a technical ability that you have to execute on. And so there's a major minor situation happening here where people often look at your giftedness and say, that should be the major thing you do with your life all the time. But really what you're doing is you're using those things that you worked hard at and that you got throughout your life as the minor. You're living out of the creative space, out of truth and out of you know your relationship with the lord and then your minor you're using is like a sledgehammer compared to a tap hammer because you've got this person who's living out of like this fulfilling enjoyable experience and the little thing that gives you an edge happens to be that massive ability that you have that could have made you a doctor and it's so cool to watch you use that level of intensity like your recipes you don't play around with your recipes like these cakes have to taste good they have yeah. to look good. I, and I just love that. I just absolutely love that. And I think that's, that's something to consider also. There was two points that I wanted to ask you about because that came up. One was uh, when your family member said to you, asked you questions, what about, what about, what about, what about? The implied, those are really good questions, to be mm-hmm. honest. Like those are, you have to figure those things out if right. you're going to be an artist for a living. The implied answer to those questions was hypothetical And it's not actually there. We just all answer in our head. Oh, you're right. That's probably a bad idea. That's not what those questions are. Those questions are, what about the things it's going to take to be successful? You could ask the same questions about being a dentist. Like there's a ton of barriers to becoming a dentist. So when people ask you, if you're young right now and they say, what about, what about, what about, what about? Write those things down. Those are just things you got to figure out. They're not reasons to quit. Mm -hmm. They're just things you got to do. It's, you know, it's just so weird. When we hear those questions, we go, all right. And that's just not, that's not how it is because all those questions she asked had to be answered, right? Yeah. Like you have to pay for your supplies. Mm-hmm. You have to do all that stuff. Yeah. And the other thing I actually wanted to ask you about was, um, that was a fake ask. I just said some <laughs> stuff. Sorry. Uh, working on it. First time in the show, 38 minutes in, I usually do the whole show. So I'm getting better. Um, what is, well, let's, let's go a different direction here. Um, what are some of the challenges that you know, say it's art or whatever in your world? We'll talk about the unique challenges, but what are the guaranteed challenges for, say, someone who is managing a household or managing a business while they're doing their side hustle? They're managing a main thing, and then this is their minor thing. What are some things you know they're going to run into, guaranteed? 
yeah. Paul can jump into because you, you experience the same limitation she does. Yeah, well, right now I have two children under, you know, one's three, one's one. And so that presents obvious challenges when I'm trying to bake. Sometimes I'm measuring an eighth of a teaspoon of whatever salt while I have a baby on my hip because, you know, Verity's a little bit dependent on me right now. Um, so that's challenging um, when I have to focus. Um, but, you know, family time is also very important to me. And I want to make sure that, you know, what I'm doing here with the cakes isn't taking away too much from that, taking up too much energy, mind space. And, you know, I want to be able to go to Metro Parks and enjoy that time with them. And I realize, you know, my kids are only little for so long. So that's something that's kind of, you know, a little bit heavy on my heart. I want to make sure that I'm a good mom, a good wife, um, discipling my children. Um, to me, that's way more important than making these cakes. Um, so there's, you know, a level of balance that I have to find. Um, I, fi I uh, deal with some uh, sleep issues because when I'm thinking of these cakes and how I'm going to do them, um, I'm laying in bed often just kind of running things uh, through my head. And the like downside <laughs> of passion. I'm dead serious. Like that, that's very real. Um, maybe you just take a, can we take a little bit of a detour stop on that point mm -hmm. for a second? Um, we were talking about challenges. Help me get back there, Paul. <laughs> uh, but what are some ways that you have found, and maybe you haven't found any yet, maybe you're in the middle of it, what are some ways that you've found uh, to be able to, to be at rest? Because the same, problem that makes, the same problem that makes it so you can't sleep is the same problem that makes us not present with our kids when we're at the park because we're thinking through something and we're having trouble detaching from that thought. What have you found to be helpful there or not helpful? Yeah, well, a huge blessing has been, you know, Paul's mom, my mom will come sometimes if I'm really, you know, overloaded with work. And that's just, you know, the, they're the, the unsung heroes. But I think just realizing my limitations and realizing, okay, I should only be doing one or two cakes a week. Um, there was one week I, I sent out six cakes and that was just crazy. So I think realizing that I have to set limits and it's so hard for me to say no, but I need to learn to do that. And I've even prayed like, Lord, please let me only get the requests that <laughs> I should be doing because, you know, I get a request. I really want to do it. It's an opportunity, but, you know, I only have so much time and energy and, you know. We talked a little bit about, yeah, that's exactly right. Like those limitations are really, really hard because they're good limitations. They're not begrudging limitations. Like we're asking, we're just like, man, we want to bless people, but not at the expense of blessing our family. Like it's a good limitation. It's not like, oh, my job that I hate, I have to go to. And, you know, I only have an hour before I have to go to the next job that I have to go to. You know, it's it's a good thing. Um, I think we had a brief conversation about segmenting a little bit more. I don't know. Did you guys have more time to think about that at all? Um, rather than saying I'm baking at large, breaking it into smaller sections, does that feel relevant or not really? Um, For me as a person, I'm kind of, I kind of just jumble everything together. I, yeah. I'm not big in, Paul's better at compartmentalizing things. Do you have anything to say, Paul? So there are success stories, and then there are, we're still trying to figure it out, and yeah. there's, we're not even really thinking about it. We're just Got living it. day by day. So compartmentalizing would definitely be a struggle that Sarah hasn't found a solution to yet. Got it. Would, but that would be an area that would benefit you probably in terms mm -hmm. of we talked about just knowing the schedule. It would also benefit you, Sarah, um, when it's time to think about it in the area of knowing how to properly set limits on the amount of work. So if you have sections that you know the baking takes this much time and it doesn't require me to be there, 
the mixing takes this much time and does with this level of attention. When you know those compartmentalizations, you know what units of availability go away when you have house guests and you know which availability units come back when you have the house to yourself because the kids are with. So that, that would be something down the road to think of. But again, we talked about this. Um, you know, this is one of those rapid explosions like me. There is a whole list of things that I know I have to do better on this show. There's probably about 55 items that I could show you. There's about six or seven that ruin an episode. And I'm working on those right now. And that's kind of what you're talking about, where you're just like, I'm still figuring out my thing. I can't really segment my thing until I know my thing. Um, but yeah, I think also the compartmentalizing might help you with doing what I have learned in my whatever, you know, 15 years or whatever of 14 and a half of struggling through this creative as a job um, is some sort of evening recap really helps me a lot. And so just an inventory of every job, where it's at and what the next step is helps me. So if I had like four weddings to edit, three commercial jobs and a consulting job the following day, writing down every single project where it is and what tomorrow will look like has helped me a lot to get some rest. Um, it also helps me when I'm finishing one segment not to begin to panic about what the next segment's happening. And so, for example, I have a really good list, but it's not organized on the show of what gear I need to bring. And I'm going to have my assistant make me a compartmentalized risk list of every item that I can check off when I pack it because I have severe anxiety that I'm going to forget something. Mm -hmm. So that might be something to consider. Um, but yeah, again, lists do help. I yeah. have a little list of things to do and to buy and um, crossing off, you know, what I've done helps yeah. mentally too. Yeah, but you got to get some sleep. So that's yeah. a big one. That's a really big one. And um, that's uh, that's normally something people don't do till five, six years in. So you're not behind, but it is something to consider. Um, so, <laughs> so what kind of cakes have you done? Like now you've done a fair number. You're now throttled. You're at the point where you have more requests than actual cakes. You can't, you can't do any more. So this show is not going to be a big promotion currently of getting you more business because you just can't. We're talking about how cool you are and what you've done so far. How, of all these cakes that you've done, what are some of the crazy, like I heard something about like Michelin man, Trump horses <laughs> and Thanksgiving turkeys and all that. What are some things that you've done? I want to hear from both of you. Which ones have really stood out to you? Yeah. So starting off, you know, Verity's cake kind of started this whole thing off. She had a little smash cake that I did. Verity, our daughter. Verity, our daughter. And she uh, had congenital heart issues. When she was three days old, she had to have open heart surgery to have a pacemaker put in, installed. And so her one-year birthday was very special to us. So Sarah wanted to make yeah. a very special cake. Yeah, so, and I just wanted something sweet. So I did a bunch of, you know, floral work, piped some buttercream roses and peonies. And um, so, you know, I have my, my floral department, which, you know, a lot of people really like, just really pretty. Right here you have, you know, some blue roses and some petals falling off the side. Um, and then I have some, you know, I've started working with, you know, fondant, modeling chocolate, um, the whole Michelin Man thing. Um, there's somebody who... Um, her sister, really great um, uh, person, friend of mine, she she lives out of state now. She's like, hey, can you make my sister this cake? She loves sports. She does Mu Muay Thai. And I checked out her sister's Instagram. She's done Muay Thai in Thailand even. So I was working on modeling chocolate, trying to get this person to do this, you know, crazy kick in the air, doing another person, defending that kick. And it was just not working out time after time. This This man who's supposed to be, like, strong is just looking like this 
squishy Michelin man. Oh, person. so when you say Michelin man and you put Michelin man in my notes here, that wasn't actually what you were making. No. Okay. Okay. Yeah. A very <laughs> athletic toned yeah. Muay Thai. It turned expert. into a birthday cake about me <laughs> instead of a Muay Thai expert. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how many tries did it take? Oh gosh. I just gave up after, you know, maybe four or five tries that night, ripping the chocolate off. Um, and four what? or five tries are not like flipping a coin. Like oh, these are no. significant time. Like that's a very devastating thing. Yeah. Uh, each try is kind of devastating yeah. from what you've told me. And I wasn't like trying to change my, my tactic. I was kind of just trying to do it all in one piece. And then the next day with the fresh brain, I was like, you know, let me try to segment this. I'm going to make his legs. I'm going to make his torso and his arms. And that worked out so much better. It just worked. And I was like, wow. Okay. Do you that's think learning with point. unlimited tries, you would have got it that day? Like you were degrading at that point, yeah, right? Yeah, I was just. Down That's what on I myself. mean. Like getting to a point where you know, from a segment standpoint, you're like, okay, I've hit this moment. There's nothing good coming out of me here. I'm gonna leave it here, and tomorrow I know exactly where I left off. That's been so huge for me, juggling yeah. so many different things. Where it's just like, nope, I'm done, and I'll do that in a meeting. Like, oh, and I'll get fog brain, or I'll start to feel frustrated, like I can't communicate, and I'll go. I've literally hit my synapse. Have you guys heard that before? That. You get a, a, a limited number of synapse fires in your brain for decisions. Have you heard that? Mm, no. This is new. They've done a bunch of studies on this. Uh, that's how I validate that it's true. I just say bunch of studies. Some guy said. No, but that um, decision fatigue is one of the most predictable things that you can do in your life. And so what happens is every decision you make is one synapse firing in your brain. And you have a limited number of those each day. And so what people who are earthly successful, people who lots of money, prestige, whatever – Almost all of them do incredible amounts of work to reduce the number of decisions they make, including what am I going to wear today? Where am I going to go? They, they build those routines so that by 11 o'clock, they've made almost no decisions. They get to work, they fire off till four or five, and then they get home and they finish. And so that's what that fog is. If you're an artist, a consultant, a techie, whatever, that's what that fog is, if you've, is you've decided too many things before your day even starts. So that's something I've been trying to help Ashley with at home because she manages the workload primarily of the kids and getting them out to school. And she does so many things that kids are asking her questions and she's deciding. And I, I'm like, you guys are borrowing something from your mom that you can't give back. And so by three o'clock, she's just fried. Mm -hmm. And so on days where you're trying to be creative, you want to have your outfit already picked out. You want to have your goods already out. You want to have your materials out for the next day. And you want your first decision to be a creative decision. So something to think about. That's, a good point. That's why you see Zuckerberg in the same shirt every day. Uh, Warren Buffett owns the same car. He takes the same route. He reads the same paper. That's why they do that, so that their best decision-making time is at the times when they're making their decisions. So something to think yeah. about. But anyway, uh, you had the Michelin Man. You had um, Trump cake? Yeah. Trump horse? Uh, no. Okay. What is this? First of all, I want to say um, I've already decided early on I'm going to avoid like any type of political king, so don't ask me uh, for Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. you. I just, I just keep it light here. I'll, but I'll literally bleep it. <laughs> if somebody starts making political comments, I I'll just bleep it and start playing music. Cake. Um, somebody requested a, a horse cake for their son. And I had this round cake. It's like a dome, little mini dome. And I was trying to make like the whole horse body. And I'm putting like legs on it, a little bit of head, the head, you know, little arms. And um, it just looked like before the head was on it, it just looked like a Thanksgiving turkey, like with the legs. <laughs> I'll have to show you a picture of it. But I was like, this is just not going to fly. Like, so I ended up, you know, scrapping that and turning this dome just into the head of the horse and not the whole body. And then, you know, I piped some like 
the hair, the little tuft of hair in the top, and the way I piped it. It was just like, it was a Trump. Spitting image. It was Trump's hair on this horse. I'll be honest, the last four <laughs> years or so, this isn't a political statement. We've all kind of, no matter what your opinion is, have had him on the mind. Like, it's been impossible <laughs> not to. So I think you're subconscious. Oh, no. I think even if the Michelin man would have turned into Trump, maybe. You know, I'm just saying, non-political statement. He's just been at the forefront of our minds. Yeah, and at that point, I was like, I've already worked so much on this, and I have to, like, give it to, you know, the mom. And it wasn't bad. It was just, you know, it could have been better with, you know, the hair and all that. But I just... That was one time I was like, I'm done. <laughs> what do you think um, when we look at <laughs> – I just can't get that out of my mind. Any question I ask now is going to have a Trump horse on my brain. <laughs> it's just this infectious image. Uh, so w- as you're talking about some of these things that you're kind of laughing at, your iterations, obviously the, when it ended, it looked great. But you're kind of laughing. We're laughing about how funny the failures look. I, I've done that. I've tried to be creative with a shot on the photo, and I do a wide-angle shot for the scene. And then I notice in the corner that Aunt – you know, Aunt yeah. Miriam's body is 16 times larger than her head because she just happened to be there. And, uh, you know, you can't undeliver them. So I'm like, well, maybe Aunt Miriam said she didn't want to see any photos, just so you guys know. Nobody wants, she didn't want to see any. But I've done things like that and they're funny, but obviously not sustainable. You want to get better over time, less iterations. What, are, what do you think the percentage of your time that you spend is on, uh, let's, let's do a pie chart here. So preparation of the job, as an example, um, that's when you haven't touched anything yet. You're just thinking it through, making sure it's a good fit. And then the actual technical execution of it, research, what's, what's kind of the pie chart delivery, finishing, baking, what's kind of the pie chart for you of time? You don't have to use all those categories. I'm just yeah. giving some examples. Baking's probably like a fifth of the time, yeah. if that. Um, You're pretty confident by the time you get there. Like that's the mix it right put it in the yeah oven. and that still takes a lot of time you know you have to it's not just baking you have you know all the ingredients you have to buy you have to cut out the shape you know parchment paper so it doesn't stick to the bottom there's a lot that goes in before you actually stick the, the cake in the oven but then you have you know the whole creative you know thinking about the design and all of that that's probably I don't know anywhere to a quarter a third so Sarah makes only custom cakes she doesn't have like this is my portfolio of 10, yeah, 20 nobody's cakes reordering the cake. Someone says, I want Hagrid's hut. And she has to research Hagrid's hut and figure out exactly the material she's going to use. Is that just because you're new? Like, or do you really not want to remake cakes? Because, um, like, I, everything's new. Your first five <laughs> cakes are always going to be new like that. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I, I assume later on down the road, I'm going to have, like, you know, another Spider Man cake or whatever. But, really enjoy when things are new. I do realize though that I'm going to push back on you. So tell me what's true. If I came to you and said, I'll give you the right amount of money for a Hagrid's hut. Would you request, would you say, cause you're in control of your business. Would you say, can we, let's mix it up. I'll do something like that. Or would you say, yeah, I'm happy to do the same exact cake replica. I would probably want to mix it up a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Yeah. But if you I'm gave thinking. me like a thousand bucks, sure. I'll do yeah, anything you yeah. want. <laughs> Just so anybody listening to Renaissance agency, by the way, selfishly, my goal is I want Sarah making and if we have time to talk more about this in a later episode, we will. I Personally, my vision, I haven't shared this with them. My vision is that Sarah only does very large, very beautiful, very incredible, very thoughtful, very expensive cakes for companies and stuff that I want it. Not only, but I want her to do that. So I haven't sold her on that yet. And I don't <laughs> think she's going to say yes at this point. But that's what I want to do. I want a big company to have a big event. And it's got a bunch of creative elements to it. And she makes it. And it's like stupid expensive because they got a bunch of venture money and we're just going to 
use that on cake partially. So yeah, that would be cool. But a lot of my joy also comes from you know making people's birthdays little whatever. Harland. Yeah, special. Yes. And so I know that's why I said it's a sale. I got to figure out how to get get yeah. you to do some of those because you're so happy doing what you're doing now. <laughs> yeah. um, so you said then creative time. There's two parts there. There's like the design, and then there's the mo- the modified design as it gets going, right? Yeah. So, you know, I'm spending a lot of time either, you know, scrolling through Instagram, getting ideas, um, just laying in my bed thinking about how I'm going to do things. I do most of my creative thinking just in bed as I'm trying to sleep, which is not good. But um, and then there's the whole execution that, you know, in and of itself takes a lot of time um, figuring out what, you know, materials I'm going to use, if it's going to be fondant, all buttercream, mild Sounds like you're an architect. Literally, like, like... this is crazy. Yeah, there's sculpting, there's piping, there's, you know, there's so many different cool techniques out there. There's so many that I want to do that I haven't done yet. Um, it's just amazing. That's what I love about it. There's just this whole whole new world. Um, of Let's go. You're, now you're blind. She, she well, said a whole new world and then the guy sings. No. Okay. All right. That yeah. wasn't what I was going to bring up. Um, I, I told Sarah, I'm like, you know, if, if you want to make things easier on yourself, you could specialize. She makes these, there's a floral cake right here, and that takes very little effort. Creatively, she could pump these out like it's nobody's business, where it wouldn't take as much planning, yep. preparation, mm-hmm. decorating. But no less expertise, though. So it's certainly not bringing the value down. But her time investment would be different. But her expertise and the happiness of the client is still high. Yeah, so yeah. she could brand herself as the flower cake lady. Yeah. And it would be very easy. But at the same time, she doesn't want to be pumping out these flower cakes. Well, and you already walked away from the medical field in terms of something that you know is not a good fit for you. Certainly, you're not going to bring that bad fit mm-hmm. mindset back into, like Paul's saying, certainly you're not going to do the medical field version of cakes. That doesn't make sense. Just right. choose money over fulfillment. And yeah. thankfully, you know, God has blessed my situation such that I'm not having to, you know, put food on the table with, you know, this cake money. Um, cake money. That's a good name for your <laughs> sugar daddy over there. <laughs> no, she's, but you're getting paid for this. And you, you could scale this into a very successful bakery within three months. Like this is the, this is the irony of me talking to you. It's like the path to, a successful bakery, earthly success, money, those sort of things, is very short for you. You could do that very quickly, very little effort, do it from your house straight to a space, have people working for you and be very profitable very quickly. But that's not what, you're, that's not what you want to do. You don't have that vision in your mind that that's what you want to do right now. And you could turn that on at any point, but right now you're staying true to what you want to do, which is this sweet spot that you're in right now. Mm-hmm. And the irony is profitability People are so hungry for profitability, and it's important, especially if it's if your family's suffering because of it. That's important. Mm-hmm. Time and money is draining. But the reality is, if you focus like you're focusing on greatness and doing great work, profitability is just always there. You can always turn it on whenever you want. But if you chase profitability too early and you do flower cakes, like, like Paul was talking about, in a way that you're not happy with, now we can talk about some ways that that might be kind of fun. You could do a bouquet, a bouquet season where mm-hmm. literally you release 25 cakes on a weekend 
with different beautiful bouquets and it's an amazing photo shoot and all 25 cakes get bought because it was fast. It was crazy profitable infusion of cash. We can do things like that, but you don't want to chase profitability before at the expense of this really cool thing. Like, I don't know what this podcast is yet. It's not the right time to start promoting it. Like, I don't know what it is. I'm still working on it. And you're kind of in a similar spot. It's not the right time to start promoting it yet. Right? Like you're already too busy Yeah, and you're already doing what you love. Nothing's broken. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about that? What were you saying there? I felt like, I think you were the last one I cut off most recent. (laughs) I keep having the word. um, I think of subway. I don't like uh, the subs at Subway. It's the cheapest, currently the cheapest franchise you can buy, by the way, which fits because the sandwiches fit that. But yeah, go ahead. You and think Sarah of Subway. might be more profitable if she became the Subway of cakes, yeah. but that would hurt her artist soul. And I appreciate her artist soul. Just, I'm going to agree with that and add a caveat to it and tell me if you agree with what I'm saying. You're obligated to because I just agreed with you. Socially, you have to. Sure. What's funny is I remember distinctly cutting you off a little bit ago. Sarah and I both started talking at the same time, and your word started with SH. So all I heard was Uh-oh. shh. <laughs> but you were gracious about it. But it was a good reminder that the shush actually fit. Uh, it was an accident. Um, but we often go to the extremes, right? Like Sarah is not going to, you're 100% correct. So there's Subway here. There's completely custom, no sense of money or scalability or anything over here, which is the prototype stage. Like when I made HH Boogie, the first prototype was $700, my cost. And then they sold for 99 at the end of it. So there's a prototype stage that's expensive, it's arduous, it takes too much time, and then you eventually scale things. So Subway's one version, and then there's what we're doing now. There is, There are incremental steps in between those things. So for example, like I said, if you wanted to literally just practice your flowers and just be creative and that's all you wanted to do, you make 25 cakes like this and you just artistically hone in on what you love about flowers. Now you have this massive group of things that took you the same amount of time as my cake and selling 25 cakes while experimenting and learning ain't bad. That would be pretty sick. Like that would be, that'd be some money. So (laughs) that would be fun because that would go toward your project. You could buy more spaces. So there are versions in the middle, um, which, which is, possible too. And that's kind of where I operate is in that middle stage. And so that's why I'm always like perking up at opportunity, but I don't want to be pushy. You know, I don't want to be like, this is your passion, your vision, but my excitement definitely bleeds over with what's possible. Um, Hey guys, we're going to take a break. Uh, you want to talk a little more? Yeah. Sarah, are you done? You want to talk a little more? I can talk more. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, this is definitely gonna be aired very soon and we've got a lot more to talk about, but, uh, thank you guys. Thank you guys for coming. We're